Blog Talk Radio. and welcome to the latest edition of Trundlebed Tales. My name is Sarah Utoff and I am your host for today and we're going to be having a slightly different kind of episode in honor of Easter. But before we get that started, let's just... do a little housekeeping and let you know that uh, we do have a chat room open and in and as with every episode you can call in if you want to the numbers are 714-242-5253 that's 714-242-5253 or toll free 1-877-633-9389 that's 1-877-633 339389 and um I've been promising you some good interviews for the last couple months and I did get the the one done with Nancy Westlake that I really wanted to. I've got two more lined up and the one I was going to do in April has gotten pushed back to May so I'll probably end up doing both of the ones uh, that I wanted to in May so bear with me on that. In the meantime, uh after today's episode I am going to uh, be doing another Travel Times episode on Tuesday at uh, probably 8.30 Central Time. No, I haven't gotten the thing, I haven't gotten the thing um, set up yet time-wise. So um, I'm going to be talking about uh, the basics of planning a Laura Ingalls Wilder trip. And I think that's going to be fun. It's going to be kind of a cross between travel times and the regular trundle uh, bed tales. And I hope that you will tune in Tuesday to join me for that one. Then it will, should be about ready, uh, it'll be about time for our start of the May Laura Ingalls Wilder events. And we've got a lot of stuff going on in May, so it should be pretty interesting. And I think that is probably about all the housekeeping we have. So and uh, this is going to be a little bit of a different episode. I was trying to think of something that I could do for Easter that would be a little different and that people would enjoy. And what I kept coming back to was Laddie, A True Blue Story by Jean Stratton Porter, which is an author that I've, I've talked before about Mary J. Holmes and, and how she was uh, somebody that, that both my family uh, had family liked. But this was, um, Jean Stratton Porter was my Grandma Utah's favorite author. Her book came out in the 19-teens and 20s. As she did, she was a very impressive person. She did everything from uh, scientific work, early naturalist stuff on 
wildflowers and plants, insects, birds. And she was a very early nature photographer, took just wonderful shots, published them. There were collections, photographs, books, really well known. And then she also did um, novels and short stories. They tend to lean a little bit to the melodrama, melodrama, but I still enjoy them. Lots of people did. And I think one of the interesting things about uh, Jean Stratton Porter was the things that she did with her life because uh, she, her husband made money uh, in uh, gas and oil. And that she took that money and used it for doing things like they uh, bought a, she bought a tract of land by Rome, Indiana, and established a wildflower sanctuary. Had uh, people going over the state and bringing back wildflowers that still grow in that uh, area that is now a state park. Then she ended up going out to California, and she became a real powerhouse in the movie industry. That was incredibly rare at the time. There, there was basically no women in the film industry in any kind of a decision-making capacity. There was a one or two maybe directors. There was Mae West who did her best to control her, her uh, own fortune. And there was Jean Stratton Porter who opened her own studio basically in order to make movies of her books. And uh, the male-dominated industry really looked down on her and what she did. But her movies ended up being basically uh, the equivalent of blockbusters. And who knows what would have happened if she hadn't, unfortunately, been killed in a car crash. And one time, it was fairly early to die in a car crash in the 1920s. You just kind of wonder what, what else she might have done if she'd been able to live out her, her natural life. But anyway. Jean Stratton Porter was a, a good author and one, again, that has a special space, place in my heart because of her connection uh, with my grandmother. In fact, I, have, I haven't visited Rome, Indiana, but I visited her first house, which is actually where she set the majority of her books near Limberlost Swamp in Geneva, Indiana, the one that's further east. There's actually two Geneva, Indiana. This is one farther east. Um, and I visited it. And embroidered a picture of it. <laughs> so I really like Jean Stratton Porter. This particular book, Laddie, a True Blue Story, has a special meaning because it's based on on Jean Stratton Porter's own family. She came from a large family and an older brother that she was just adored died. And this book is reading rewriting that story, taking him from, I think, pretty closely to right before he died and instead what should have happened. Uh, he meets a girl and falls in love with her and has to win her over. And, uh, eventually, all is right with the world because this is, of course, an example of a uh, fix-it story, which they're all familiar with today with fans. That, but she was fixing her own life and making the story come out that way. She actually, when she before she bought the plot of land to make the wildflower swamp or wildflower preserve, 
she had actually looked back to try and rebuy her parents' farm and restore it. But when she went, it had been so badly neglected. The buildings are all gone. Fences are all gone. And she just gave up. She uh, decided to build her wildflower place instead and to preserve her family's story instead through this book. It's, uh, it was my grandmother Rita's favorite. It's my favorite. I highly recommend Laddie a True Blue Story. The memorial site in Rome has been much more active than the one in Limberlost, and uh, the visitor center there offers copies of, of those books, her, her books for sale on CD. So you can listen to it that way. You can read it yourself. But I really recommend Laddie a True Blue Story. And we're going to read the chapter part of the chapter on Easter. And you should know that uh, it's the mother in the story is one of these women, much like Ma and, and Mother Wilder, who raised eggs and uh, made better for sale to provide the cash income for the family. And she actually took it very seriously. And there's another story where she actually gets a pair of geese that are a particular breed that is a very rare breed, and she was very proud of that. So she's very proud of this. So uh, we're going to pick up on page 349 in the chapter called The Horn of the Hunter. We took care of our chickens because we had to have them. All of the year we needed them, but most especially for Easter. Mother said that was ordained chicken time. Turkeys for Thanksgiving, suckling pigs for Christmas, chickens for Easter. Goose, she couldn't abide. She thought it was too strong. She said the egg was a symbol of life, of awakening, of birth. And the chickens came from the egg. First one's about Easter, so that proved it was chicken time. I'm going to quit praying about little things I can manage myself. Father said no prayer would bring an answer unless you took hold and pulled with all your being for what you wanted. I've been intending for days to ask the Lord to help me find where Leon, one of her other brothers, Leon, hid his Easter egg. It had been law at our house from the very first that for that last month before Easter, aside from what Mother had to have for the house, all of us might gather every egg we could find and keep them until Easter. If we could locate the hiding place of anyone else, we might take all of theirs. The day before Easter, they were brought in. Mother put aside what she required, and the one who got, had the most got to sell all of the rest and take the money for themselves. Sometimes there were two wash tubs full of eggs, and what they brought was worth having for sure. So we watched all year for safe places, and when the time came, we almost ran after the hens with a basket because Laddie, and that's her oldest brother that she was closest to, because Laddie and Leon were bigger. They could outrun us, and lots of hens laid in the barn, so there the boys always had first chance. Often during the month, we would find and take each other's eggs a dozen times. We divided them, hid part in different places, so that if either were found, there would still be some left. 
Laddie had his in the hopper of the cider press right on the threshing floor, and he, as he was sure to get more than I had anyway, I usually just put mine with his. May had hers someplace, and where Leon had his, none of us could find or imagine. I almost lay awake of nights trying to think, and every time I thought of a new place, the next day I would look, and they wouldn't be there. Three days before Easter, Mother began to cook and get the big dinner ready, and she ran short of eggs. She told me to go to the barn and tell the boys that each of them must send her a dozen eggs as quickly as they could. Of course, that was fair, because if she made both give up the same number, they would end up the same. So I went to the barn. The lane was muddy, and as I had been sick, I wore my rubbers that spring. I thought to keep out of the deep mud where the horses and cattle trampled, I'd go up the front embankment and enter the little door. My feet made no sound, and so it happened that the door didn't either, and as I started to open it, I saw Leon disappearing down the stairway with a big sack on his back. I thought it was corn for the horses and followed him, but he went to the cow stable door and started toward the lane, and then I thought it was for the pigs, so I called Laddie and told him about the eggs. He said he'd give me two dozen of his and Leon could pay him back. We went together to get them, and there was only one egg there. <gasps> Wasn't that exactly like Leon? Leave one egg for a nest egg. If he were dying and saw a joke or a trick, he'd stop to play it before he finished, if he possibly could. If he had no time at all, then he'd go with his eyes twinkling over the thoughts of the fun it would have been if he possibly could have managed it. Of course, when we saw that one lonely egg in the cider hopper, just exactly like the last rose of summer left to pine on the stem, I thought of the sack Leon carried and knew what had been in it. We hurried out and tried to find him, but he was swallowed up. You couldn't see him or hear a sound of him anywhere. Mother was as cross as she ever gets. Right there, she made a new rule, and it was that two dozen eggs must be brought to the house each day, whether there were any hidden or not. She had to stop baking until she got those eggs. Laddie looked pretty glum when he had to admit he had no eggs, so Leon had to hand over the whole two dozen. Leon didn't mind that, but he said if he must, then all of us should stay in the dining room until he brought them, because of course he couldn't walk straight and get them in broad daylight with us watching and not show where they were. Father said that was fair. So Leon went out and before so very long came back with the eggs. I thought until my skull almost cracked about where he could have gone. And I was almost to the place where the thing seemed serious enough that I'd asked the Lord to help me find Laddie's eggs when Mother sent me to the garret for red onion skin. She had an hour to rest, and so she was going to spend it fixing decorations for our eggs. Of course, there was always red and black aniline ones and yellow and blue, but none of us ever liked them half so much as those Mother colored herself. She took the dark red skins and cut boys and girls and dogs and cats, stars, flowers, butterflies, fish, and everything imaginable, and wet the skins a little and made them on the white eggs that had been soaked in alum water to cut the grease, and then wrapped light yellow skins over it, and then darker ones, and the last layer of cloth 
and wet that and roasted them an hour in hot ashes and then let them cool and dry before unwrapping. When she took them out and rubbed on a little grease and polished them, there they were. They would have our names, flowers, birds, animals, all in pale yellow, deep, rich brown, almost red, and perfectly beautiful colors, while you could hunt and hunt before you found everything on one egg, and sometimes the onion skin slipped and made things of themselves that she had never put on. I was coming from the bin with an apron full of skins and almost fell over. I couldn't breathe for a long time. I danced on my toes and held my mouth to keep from screaming. On the garret floor before me lay a little piece of wet mud and the faintest outline of a boot, a boot about Leon's size. That was all I needed to know. As soon as I could hold steady, I took the skins to mother, slipped back and hunted good, and of course, I had to find them, grain sacks half full of them, carried in the front door in the evening and up the front stairs, where no one went until bedtime unless there was company. Away back under the eaves, across the joists, behind the old clothing waiting to be ripped, colored and torn for carpet rugs and rugs, Mr. Leon had almost every egg that had been laid on the place for a month. Now he'd see what he got for taking Laddie. Then I stopped short. What I thought most made me sick, but I didn't propose to lie in bed again for a year at least, for it had its bad parts as well as its good, so I went straight and whispered to Laddie. He never looked pleased at all, so I knew I had been right. He kissed me and thanked me and then said slowly, It's mighty good of you, little sister, but you see, it wouldn't be fair. He found mine himself, so he had a right to take them, but I don't dare touch his when you tell me where they are. Then I went to father, and he laughed. How he did laugh. Laddie is right, he said at last. He didn't find them, and he mustn't take them, but you may. They're yours. That front door scheme of Leon's was fairly well, but it wasn't quite good enough. If he had cleaned his feet as he should before he crossed mother's carpet and climbed the stairs, he'd have been made it all right. His tracks betrayed him. His tracks do all of us. If we are careless enough to leave any, the eggs are yours, and tonight is the time to produce them. Where do you want to hide them? Well, of all things, and after I had stumbled on them without pestering the Lord either, just as slick as anything, mine. I never even thought of it, but when I did think, I liked it. The more I thought, the funnier it grew. Under mother's bed, I whispered, but I could never get them. They're in wheat sacks and full so high they have to be handled like eggs. I'll do the carrying. Come show me. So we took the eggs and put them under mother's bed. Of course, she and Candace saw us, but they didn't hunt eggs, and they'd never tell. If I ever, if ever I thought I'd burst wide open, about dusk I saw Leon coming from the barn carrying his hat at his side. More eggs. So I ran like a streak and locked the front door and then slipped back in the dining room and almost screamed when I could hear him trying it, and he couldn't get in. After a while, he came in, fussed around, and finally went into the sitting room, and the key turned, and he went upstairs. I knew I wouldn't dare look at him when he came down, so I got a reader and began on a piece I just loved. A nightingale made a mistake. She sang a few notes out of tune. Her heart was ready to break, and she hid away from the moon. When I did get a piece, gracious, 
but she was black. Maybe it wasn't going to be so much fun after all, but he had the money last year and the year before, and if he'd cleaned his feet well, I was not hunting his eggs when I found him. He trade him, just as father said. I was thankful supper was ready just then. And while it was going on, mother said, as soon as you finish all bringing your eggs, I want to wrap the ones to color tonight and bury them in the fireplace so they will color, dry, and be ready to open in the morning. No one said a word, but neither Laddie nor Leon looked very happy. And I took awful bites to keep my face straight. When all of us finished, May brought in a lot from a, the bran barrel in the smokehouse, but Laddie and Leanne only sat there and looked silly. It really was funny. I must have more eggs than this, said Mother. Where are they to come from? Father nodded to me, and I said, Come under your bed. Oh, it was you. I never once caught you snooping, cried Leanne. Easy, son, said Father. That will do. You lost through your own carelessness. You left wet mud on the garret floor, and she saw it when Mother sent her for the onion skin. You robbed Laddie of his last egg this morning. Be a good loser yourself. Well, anyway, you didn't get them, Leanne said to Laddie. Laddie, and she only found them by accident. Then we had a big time counting all those eggs, and there was such another heap as there was to sell after Mother filled the baskets to cook with and color. When the table was cleared, Laddie and Leon made tallow pencils from the candle and wrote all sorts of things all over the eggs that had been prepared to color. When Ma Mother boiled them in the copperous water and aniline and all the dyes she had and the boys polished them, they stood shining in black, blue, and yellow heaps. The onion ones would be done in the morning. Leon had a goose egg, and Mother let him keep it, so he wrote and wrote on it, and Laddie said it would be all writing and no color, and he boiled it in red after Mother finished and polished it himself. It came out real pretty with roses on it and lots of words he wouldn't let us, any of us read, but of course it was for Susie Fall. The next morning he slipped it to her at church. When we got home, all of us were there except Shelley, and we had a big dinner and a fine time, and Laddie stayed until after supper before he went to Pryor's. How is he making it? asked Sally. You could see she was making it all right. She never looked lovelier, and Mother said Peter was letting her spend away way too much on on much money on her clothes. She told him so, but Peter just laughed and said, Business was good, and he could afford it, and she was a fine advertisement for his store when she was dressed well. All I know is, said Mother, that he goes there every whip stitch, and the women, at least, seem glad to have him. He says Mr. Pryor treats him decently, and that is more than he does his own family and servants. He and the girl and the mother are divided about something. She treats her father respectfully, but she is in sympathy with her mother. Laddie can't find out what the trouble is? I don't think that he tries. Possibly he'd feel better not to know, said Peter, said Mother. Nonsense, said Father. And that takes us back to uh, one-room school, which may, again, be something that, that we do some other time and get the reading of what happens in the one-room school. School. Again, this book was Laddie, A True Blue Story by Jean Stratton Porter. It's the story of what should have happened in her family if her older brother Laddie hadn't 
well, Vladdy in this story hadn't died. And I hope that you enjoyed it as much as we always do. And again, if you want to read the book, there are copies available many places, but you can get uh, both hard copies of the book, newly printed, and books on CD from the Gene Stratton Porter uh, Memorial Society in Rome, Indiana. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I hope you have a happy Easter. Thank <laughs> you.